Hi everyone, welcome to Diamond Gems with Avi Kravitz where I talk to members of the diamond industry and lovers of diamonds and jewelry to tell the story of the diamond market, sharing our experiences, learning from each other and understanding what diamonds truly mean to each of us. We're all different and so are our diamonds. Let's celebrate that because stories apply to everyone in the diamond market and our ability to grow as individuals, as businesses and as an industry depends largely on the way we reveal those hidden gems. I was super excited to chat with Molefi Litsiki, a South African diamond tear who is making strides in the global diamond market and who has an important perspective on the industry. Molefi made history when his company became the first majority black-owned company to become a De Beers site holder. We talk about his journey within the industry, beneficiation in South Africa and how it differs to Botswana and Namibia. He gives his take on market conditions and what it takes to succeed in this industry of ours with some surprising angles. Molefi currently serves as chairman of the Diamond Dealers Club of South Africa and is deeply invested in bringing about transformation in this historically significant diamond center. That's no simple matter. It's certainly nuanced, as was our discussion. So please enjoy my conversation with Molefi Litsiki. Straight, okay. Um, Molefi, thank you so much for hosting me here in your beautiful offices in Johannesburg. It's it's great to be with you. No, no, thank you so much for coming through. Um, really, it's great to have you here, you know, uh, and it's great. You back home. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel at home, I, re- I yeah. really do. And um, I've been in Joburg for the last um, few weeks and I've spent some time sort of reconnecting with the industry in South Africa yeah, and yeah. with some surprising results. And, and so y- you wear uh, various hats <laughs> in the industry here. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we can name a few of them. Firstly, you're the CEO and founder of uh, Molefi Litsiki Diamonds, yeah, which is yeah. your company. You're a site holder. Yeah. You're the chairman of the Diamond Dealers Club of South Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're the co-founder of the South African Young Diamond Beneficiators Guild. Guild. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. Th- so that's there. There's quite a lot there. So, um, mm. What's been your sort of journey into those leadership positions? Yeah, look, I think you know most of the leadership positions that um, I've I've taken. It's not necessarily about positions for me, but was more about really working towards transforming the industry where I have had challenges and battles to try find the solution and that solution sometimes means coming into a position where you could have some sort of influence or something like that you know I mean when we started uh, the the South African Young Diamond Beneficiators Guild the aim there was really to put together emerging businesses which were unable to join the likes of the Diamond Dealers Club, uh, for example, because of the requirements that you would need uh, in order to be a member. But I felt there was a need to bring together a community of emerging businesses, uh, and that would also go speak to suppliers, to to government, and, and different industry stakeholders in an aim of trying to build an industry. I mean, you know, um, through the guilt, we were able to access um, RAF from your Petra, uh, mine, for example, through the guild, um, the, the De Beers beneficiation project came about. You know, uh-huh. the, so so it's played a certain role in in an aim of accessing goods, uh, and at the same time, really trying to 
build a community because I think the industry is so much international industry and you find that a lot of local guys don't have your distribution channels they don't have the finance uh, and, and all of that so so the aim was to really rally together people in an aim of building through um, that structure mm. yeah. so where, when was the guild formed that's um, uh, how many years has it been in operation it's uh, sure uh, if I'm not mistaken it was formed in 2015 okay. yeah so it's been in existence for a while I was the first uh, president uh, until last year, uh, we elected a new president, uh, a lady by the name of Nomalungele Stofilo from Sunrise Gems, mm -hmm. uh, who's also a beneficiator, but really with the aim of uh, passing the baton, you know, to the next generation and, 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 and standing in the background, uh, you know, and, and helping uh, to continue build uh, from a background. Right. I, I think uh, on an international scale, and as, as I would cover the, the industry, yeah. we would speak about beneficiation. Yeah. Um, and the focus would generally be on Botswana mm. uh, and Namibia. Yeah. And I guess we would be somewhat critical of South Africa's yeah. beneficiation program. Yeah. And, and I think it was to our, to our detriment because we were drawing parallels to Botswana, but it's a very different environment in South Africa because it has a history of a cutting and polishing industry. Yeah, yeah. And so it seems that the beneficiation sector here has taken on more of an entrepreneurial role than in Botswana and Namibia, where there it's a matter of creating new activity in the industry. Yeah, is that, is yeah. that a fair assessment? I think that's a very fair assessment. I think also because I would assume that with where South Africa was, I mean, South Africa at some point, I think, was a big beneficiation hub, you know, with the industry employing a lot of people in the manufacturing space. However, over the years, either due to um, the red tape um, that the government has set and so forth, we started seeing that industry declining quite a lot. I mean, we, we've seen a lot of factories, especially side holders, moving from South Africa to Botswana, mainly because Botswana's I think made things slightly easier than the South African laws and so forth. Which also, thinking back, I mean, South Africa has a history of apartheid behind it, and the industry was really flourishing during those apartheid times. Right. So when the new government came into power, I think they tried to bring in as much restrictions as possible, also to try help the African people as much as possible. But at the same time, that also caused a bit of a, a bit of challenges for a lot of big companies, and that's why we started seeing some companies moving. Um, some regulations were put in place where it kind of restricted or made it difficult for some of the international players to remain mm -hmm. uh, in the country, and and thus Namibia grew, Botswana grew, Dubai grew, and I think it's it's mainly just because of some of the red tapes that were right. put into place. Right, you know? and so how do you see the landscape today? Has it improved? Has, um, over these, uh, let's say, five to ten years, um, and also through the activity of the Guild, is there an emerging sort of uh, new community of diamond tears um, that have come through as entrepreneurs, as you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, m most definitely. You know, I think over... Uh, the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of uh, emerging businesses. I think South Africa, one thing we can sort of be proud of is to say it is the one country where you see a, a lot of uh, indigenous people from the country 
building new businesses mm. in the industry. In most countries, when you look at it, it's like in Botswana, for example, I can't even think of one Botswana company yeah. that is in beneficiation space, you know, whereas in South Africa, you have a lot of uh, guys that either be a one man or a two man or a five man team that have built a company uh, from scratch uh, that is in either trading the rough or manufacturing or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've been, we, we're seeing more and more and more of those uh, coming out. Yes, there's challenges, you know, uh, but uh, I think over the years we've really seen more come out. That's been very clear to me as I've looked into the industry a bit closer in the last few weeks. Yeah. And again, drawing those parallels to Botswana and Namibia, yeah. I would say that those are still, even though they have bigger scale, yeah. in terms of their beneficiation journey, yeah. um, that would be the next step that you would want to see um, uh, Botswana-owned uh, company being a site holder in Botswana, definitely. Um, and yeah. you yeah. Are, are, I guess, the you 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 were um, given a site in in twenty one, right? In, uh, or twenty twenty two. So oh, my contract right. started uh, beginning of twenty three, and look, I mean, it's been a journey, uh, very exciting, and also, I mean, DBS has been in existence for what over since eighteen eighty eight, right? And and for them. You know, for the first time, they have what we can call a first black site holder, not just in South Africa, but internationally, you know, which is something that they've never been able to achieve before, you mm. know. So it's really, I mean, a great honor and, 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 and a, a beginning of a new journey. And I want to believe that uh, we're working towards not just me, but having more uh, site holders. I mean, right now in Namibia, they have a beneficiation program where they have two guy, uh, two companies uh, that are locally owned companies that are getting goods uh, from DPA. They're not full site holders, mm. but they're getting an allocation with an aim that hopefully over the years, one of them could become a site holder or something like that, or both of them, you know. Right. In South Africa, they have a beneficiation program as well. I was part of the first cohort. Um, there's a second cohort and, and probably next year they'll take another cohort. And, and w from that, we're hoping that some of the companies will come out from that and become site holders mm. as well. You know? Well, well talking a bit about your experience within that um, beneficiation program, what did that entail? Is that a matter of giving you access to RUF um, and, and maybe it stops there? Or is there mentorship that's involved? Yeah. Um, with the with the goal of becoming a site, a site holder. Yeah. Look, I think you know um, the program itself. It's it's more than rough, uh, and 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 I know some people that got into the program and left the program because they wanted access to Rafa. I think it took us, if I'm not mistaken, a year before we could get access to any RAF in the program. So the program involves training uh, with a company called RaceCorp uh, here in South Africa. They are an entrepreneurship training company or development company. So you go through literal training of how to build a strategy for your business, how to manage your finances, uh, how to market your business. Uh, so giving you a full scope of, of a business, you know, and uh, which was really good because uh, I think it was of great benefit because most of the time you realize that uh, the, the challenge could be where you're thinking you are building a business, but mentally are you prepared for that you know mm -hmm. so um you 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 get assigned i mean i had four guides a guide for personal guide 
and this is almost like having a, a, a psychologist that gets to speak to you right. and, and makes you realize that some of the decisions that you make are as a result of what you experienced in your high school days or primary uh-huh. school days uh-huh. or something uh-huh. like that. Then you get a financial mentor who then becomes almost like your CFO. And the nice thing about it is the fact that whatever data that you're using, if you're talking finances, it's your books um, that you are. Mm-hmm. It's not a textbook or anything right. like that. Okay. Then you get a sales and, and marketing uh, mentor, uh, and then you get somebody for strategy as well. So you, those different mentors are able to help you uh, in many different areas of your life. And, and most of them, I mean, are expertise in that space. So it helps you to, it's almost like having a board in your business right. that guides you in terms of how to go about making decisions, how to run your business mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, so, so that was the first part of the program, you know, which it, it's a, it was a three-year part of the program. But within that three years, then we got supply from DBS where we're given allocation for $2 million per annum. Um, so you would get your goods in like 100000 or $200,000 or something like that, which becomes a really builder because now you've got a consistent supply um, as well. And, and that also is helping you in your business. And with the first cohort, we were fortunate enough also to be uh, mentored. I, I, for example, I, I got to be mentored by Daiko, uh, which is one of, one of the biggest side holders in the world, and, and got to work with them for a while. Uh, you know, we still have a good relation. We still work together in some different projects here and there. Uh, and yeah, uh, so, so the program was not just a, a matter of just getting supply, but was just to m- make sure that you are able to build a business and build a business that can exist outside yourself. That is sustainable. Yeah, yeah. So the program looks at that holistically, Mm. you know, because I think in the past we've seen a lot of companies emerge but the minute you lose the owner of the company, it ceases to exist. Right. Well, that, that's a challenge of any um, entrepreneurial yeah, business. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if I may just take a step back um, yeah. and let's say pre-De uh, Beers uh, Beneficiation Program, yeah. um, it's well documented that you have diamonds in your blood. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're a second generation diamond. Yeah, your yeah, father yeah. Um, worked as a master cutter for, for many years. Yeah. And uh, so you, you were kind of born into the industry yeah yeah um but i'd like to take it um to hear from you uh, that bridging period um between your father's influence let's say or in your first um exposure to the industry to becoming a diamond here what what was your training and um how did you come um, to start the business pre-beneficiation program so before, I mean, the diamond industry in South Africa used to be all in this one big building right. uh, in mm. Johannesburg, you know, the old uh, diamond center, the old jewel city. city right. yeah. And uh, for me, I think what intrigued me was, all, I, I mean, you had your suppliers in this building, you had your manufacturers, and you had your dealers that you were selling to in the same building. So everything was there. But I was very curious to know where did the diamonds end up? Because... Remember, as much as my father worked as a diamond polisher, it's something I had never seen or touched or anything like that. You know, you just hear about it or see pictures, but it's not something that goes around the table at home where you could say, I know what diamonds are like or within the communities where where we grew up. So my curiosity was wanting to know where did the diamonds end up eventually, because if I'm buying it on the second floor, manufacturing it on the same floor, the floor above and selling it on the sixth floor, 
where's the guy on the sixth floor taking the diamond too and so when um i was in high school my dad would and i would go wait for him at work so that we could travel back home together and it's in the waiting where i sort of started getting introduction of diamonds where because you know that wait will start in the parking lot before you know it you're waiting in the office reception and 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 at the end of it i was sitting in the factory with the guys polishing and and literally it was one of the days when one of the guys picked up a time to look through a stone and i just saw this you know light that came from there and uh, by then i knew sort of how to use a loop so i asked to look through and as i looked through the scintillation that came from that diamond just captured me and I was really inspired, I guess, you know, to see how something so beautiful can come out of like what you could call a piece of carbon at the end of the day. And, and, and that for me inspired me to really, you know, want to bring out the best of the diamonds. So my journey then started where during school holidays um, and uh, during my varsity days and so forth, I will then come in on weekends and just while my dad is working work with them or something like that it starts with you just being given a stone set on a tongue and say run a table and before you know it you're blocking and right. you're laughing and so <laughs> forth you know and uh, when i finished varsity then i decided that i think i found something here uh, and this is having me going to study it and then coming back and deciding no you know what I, I think polishing diamonds is more interesting you know so i went into the factory and, and i started learning more about polishing uh, working at the time, my dad had just started his own entrepreneurship journey uh, in the industry, uh, where he was manufacturing for a lot of other bigger companies and so forth. So I got a chance to work in the same factory, and I was learning how to cut and polish. And about a year and a half later, I then wanted to, you know, understand like what I was saying to you earlier: where do the diamonds end up? And that curiosity for me then said, let me start buying rough diamonds cutting and polishing them and selling. And it started with buying that one stone or two stones and, and three stones. And before you know it, uh, it became a buildup. And the nice thing is in those days, I mean, when I started out around 2005, 2006, uh, we, we used to have what we call diamond markets at the time. So you could go to your Kimberley and Volmar and start and go buy diamonds from the market before the tender date. And, and, and those markets, I mean, were every Friday, However, during the week, because you get to meet the diggers the themselves. Natural, yeah. The natural market. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah, yeah. buying tomatoes. Yeah, like <laughs> buying tomatoes or anything like that. So, but you end up building relationships as well with the, the diggers there. Those who are now able to call you and say, uh, we found this diamond and you, you are able to go buy that diamond mm. and come back. And, and that's how the journey literally started. You, you buy one, you buy two. And over the years, you start buying parcels and things like that, right, you know. Right. Yeah. And you found that in market. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Where is it? Uh, in it, what the the, 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 the for the for the end product was yeah. it in South Africa that you were selling? Um, it was uh, mainly South Africa. Yeah, uh, you know, because uh, I mean, at the time, uh, it was mostly your local jewelers and your local dealers as well. Uh, and uh, over the years, as you build up, then you start looking outside South Africa. Right. And I think yeah. for me. Hong Kong was one of the first uh, big markets that I looked at. Having worked with the state diamond trader who 
have worked very hard to ensure that South Africa has a, a pavilion in, in, in the Hong Kong show. And, and that sort of started introducing me to the international market uh, over time. And remember, I mean, when you're starting out, you're polishing smaller diamonds, your 50 pointers, 80 pointers, one carat and so forth. So a lot of those you sell locally. But as you grow, then you, you realize that we don't have much of that big market or that big consumption locally mm. and that's the need to be able to look more internationally and stuff yeah right. yeah and um, so today what is your focus both in terms of um, the type of stones that you're producing yeah. and your market yeah so so currently i mean i've, I've partnered with a, a, com a great company called dali diamonds based in belgium and Dali, I mean, has a huge distribution with uh, big brands. So the, the, the aim for me here now is really um, to be able to supply into those brands through our partnership with Dali. Um, so, I mean, we're buying goods um, that are finishing mainly between your 50 pointers to like your, I would say, two and a half, three carats. Uh, but with an idea also to grow uh, in that space. I mean, uh, as a first first year as a side holder you know you're not getting anything over 10 carats however <laughs> uh, the aim is to build it up to get to a point where we can get specials and 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 and, and get to polish some beautiful stones that will make history uh, at the end of the day but the key focus is for now is is remaining in that space where anything between a 50 to a three carat supply we we right. play mainly okay. in that and, space, and it's yeah. uh, clearly on the higher end yeah. yeah um and and so tapping into the story that you're the first black south african to be a, to be a site holder and that you're south african yeah yeah um and uh, and polishing exclusively in south africa yeah to what extent are you able to tap into that story as you supply to those markets yeah look i i think it's a, a, a we we're living in times where now the current generation is looking for provenance and a, a good story behind whatever or a good experience behind whatever they buy at the end of the day and I think I, I see myself as one of the people that are fortunate enough to be able to say that I've got a good story to tell in a sense that I, 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 I grew up benefiting from the diamond industry and now I'm able to play a role where other people can benefit from the industry as well and I think that's a good story to tell because then it becomes a good story to say diamonds really do good at the end of the day because they've done good for me and they continue to do good for the people that are cutting and polishing them, the communities where they are produced as well. Because even with the suppliers, you know, I work with suppliers that I know that they're, they're making a difference within the communities where they, the diamonds are being produced and so yeah. forth. So at the end of the day, the key thing is to ensure that we continue to tell a good story about the diamonds. You know? Right, and and you're able to do that on a, yeah. on a personal level. And, yeah. and sometimes we look at that um, that diamonds do good story on a on a macro level. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you know Botswana is trying to figure out now how can it can it create a Botswana brand. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Canada has had the yeah. same challenge, yeah. and and it's not always so clear if yeah. you can if a country. Yeah, can yeah. create a brand as such yeah, um, yeah. And, and so I wonder from your experience and maybe you can tap into your work at the Diamond Dealers Club yeah. um, if uh, as a community of South African surprise to the market is yeah. there a, a South African brand 
or is it just a good personal story that you can tap into and use in your own marketing? Look, I, I think for now it's remained a good personal story that you can use, you know, uh, but at the same time, I think there is a need for a brand, especially like a South African brand. Uh, you know, when you go into your Asian markets mainly, uh, people will jump just to see a, a diamond with a South African tag on it, uh, even just on the certificate to show that it, it was manufactured or certified whatever in South Africa, right. you know. Yeah. And I mean, I'll tell you, during the Hong Kong show, the South African pavilion becomes one of the most busiest pavilions for the first few mm. days because everybody just wants to come take the diamonds, you know, yeah. because I think it's very symbolic to a lot of people when they think South Africa, they think diamonds or something like that. And I think uh, for that matter, we should be building a brand around South African diamonds because there are people that want to, to connect with that, to say these are diamonds that come from a country that's been known so much for diamonds at the end of the day and some and how I mean you think about it some of the best diamonds in the world today either sitting in 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 the palace in England and so forth you know are South African diamonds with uh, some of the biggest diamonds that have come out in the world are South African diamonds and because of yeah. that that's why a lot of people still want to connect to South African diamonds mm. and and I think that makes it very imperative for us to work towards building something and I think be either through the club or through the industry as we grow uh, because it, building a brand takes a lot it takes a lot of people coming together and really investing in ensuring that we can be able to build that brand and and i think today it's not even just the brand where you when you think about it just the story of a natural diamond needs to be built needs to be invested to people need to be taught about it and i think uh that makes it more critical uh, for us to really rally together and, and, and work together and invest together in ensuring that we can build that brand. Right. You know? so I've certainly experienced the perception that diamonds are synonymous with South Africa. Yeah. Um, just my own journey coming into the industry. I didn't start in the diamond industry yeah. in South Africa. Yeah. But yeah. people make that association when they meet me. It's like, yeah. oh, you're from South Africa. And make, it yeah. makes sense that you're in diamonds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, little do they know. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. And, and I, I would imagine that there's a lot of discussion um, within the club around that. Can you talk a bit about the Diamond Dealers Club of South Africa? You, you mentioned bef uh, that um, the industry used to be in one location. Yeah, yeah. Um, today, there are two or three sort of hubs yeah. um, in, in which the, the industry is, is situated. Yeah. And so it seems a little fragmented. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe give a, a quick summary of the, the structure of the, the South African yeah, um, yeah. industry. Look, I, so speaking from a club point of view, unlike many bosses around the world you'll find that the bosses uh, only members of the boss will be in that building or something like that but in south africa it's not the same most of the buildings are owned by private companies or uh, where most of the dealers would either buy offices or rent offices in and uh, because of that you don't have to be a member of a club in order to be able to get an access into an office or something like that However, we encourage it a lot um, as an industry. Why? Because remember the club at the end of the day, it's an industry organization that sort of validates that every company that, because not everyone can be a member. You need to meet certain requirements in order for you to can be able to become a member. 
and those requirements validate the fact that you're a business that's in good standing and that is worth doing business with other businesses and it gives uh, whoever customer or whoever that comes and does business with you confidence that you've built a business or you have a business that's reputable enough to have been granted um, the, the club status and 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 we encourage it for anybody that comes into the industry to say become a member of the club one uh, two also because it w- w- the club will help you when you have challenges be it arbitration with other club members and so forth and that's why we always encourage even when you do business do business with other club members because in that way we are able to mitigate when there's challenges so, so that's how now south african is is mostly structured you know where you find that as much as we may not be all in one building but we all work on belonging to one body that we know that this body becomes a mouthpiece for the industry locally and internationally and and proudly so I mean, the club is also a member of the World Federation of Diamond Bosses. So meaning that even internationally, it gives you that recognition um, to say you're not just a, a dealer that's unknown, but you are part of the WFDB at the end of the day. Right. You know? okay. yeah. um, it certainly creates a, a community yeah. of, um, of uh, diamond tears yeah. at the end yeah. of the day. And, yeah. and I would hope that the yeah. guild is yeah. a feeder system into that as well. It's or, a de- yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And that there yeah. is some relationship yeah. Um, yeah. clearly um, b- between the two. Yeah. Um, b- before we close, I would like to ask you as a site holder, we yeah. have to ask about the, the state of the market and what you're seeing in the trade at the moment. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. been a, it's been a tougher yeah. um, year than, yeah. than the last two years, for, yeah. um, certainly. Yeah. So um, what's your take on the, the, the state of the trade? Look, it's a, a very challenging at the moment. I think uh, times are tough for everyone, um, both locally and internationally. Um, sentiment in the market right now is very negative. But I think uh, I've always or have this faith that when you're at your worst, the best that can happen is only the best from there, you know. And I think even though the market is a bit down at the moment, um, it will definitely pick up at some point. I think uh, the in the last two years after COVID, a lot of goods came into the market and uh, because of that a lot of companies have been filled up with a lot of stock mm. uh, and i think what happened was uh, is, uh, when people st- started being able to travel and things like that then just the buying of the diamonds slowed down because remember i think the biggest mistake as the industry that we've done most of the time is to sell diamonds and not the experience of diamonds and now people are opting for more experience than buying what I would call a commodity at the end of the day. You know, right. we're competing with holidays right now. People would rather travel the world than buy a diamond today. So, so I think it's imperative that as an industry, we come back and really rally together and speak more to the experience. How are we selling the diamonds? And I think that speaks a lot to the retailers at the end of the day. And also, we have to say that today we've seen how lab-grown diamonds have come into play so much and the fact that the customers are able to buy a bigger stone for a lesser value. But what they sometimes the story is not being told that you, you, you may be buying a bigger stone for a lesser value, but 
over time it will be worth nothing at the end of the day as compared to buying a natural diamond that you will pass through generations and it will still hold its worth and so forth so i think it's just a a matter of us rallying together as the industry to really really speak to the experience uh, and make sure that also the retailers when they sell the diamonds they're selling the experience and not just selling a diamond to profit or something like that yeah and and based on what you've said about your journey there's opportunity for the rest of the supply chain to help create that experience um, at retail no no very true i mean i you know i remember coming into the industry and i would always say there's no need for us to do any marketing because uh, like a lot of companies would approach me to say can we do marketing for you and i'll say no there's no need because i'm just selling my stone to another mm-hmm. dealer or something like that but over the years i think uh, one what one has learned is that there's actually a huge need for marketing what we don't realize is you, you you've had your dps is spending a lot of money on marketing when they owned um i would say a big chunk part of the market in the industry but obviously over the years we've seen a lot of other producers come into play and i mean uh, dbs would then stopped to do generic marketing and i think that generic marketing then started resulting in us seeing lesser uh, people buying into diamonds and with a new generation now unless we really market or, or sell the diamonds to the new generation then we're going to miss that opportunity at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. 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 Before we close, I have a few um, rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay. So yeah. we'll uh, we'll go through them um, quickly. Yeah. Firstly, um, what is your biggest challenge um, in your business in as a site holder yeah. um, in your val- various leadership roles? <laughs> Maybe that's not such a rapid fire question. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'd say the biggest challenge it's, it's, uh, for now would still be being look I, I think being based in south africa for example you competing with factories in india uh, which that labor costs are very low um, they've got some of the highest tech in the world today and those remain some of our biggest challenges locally making sure that uh, we can compete with those type of factories and stuff but i think uh, as a side holder working really hard to make sure that we have a factory at that level where uh, we are able to compete with your bigger factories regardless of the nature or, or where they based or something like that. So also the challenge there would be, you know, looking at their costs in terms of uh, when you, manufacturing in India is definitely cheaper than manufacturing in South sure, Africa. Sure. So how do I match that? I was working hard to ensure that we can be able to match that. Right. You know? and, and where you provide that ad, added value. Ad, exactly, right. yeah. Um, you, you mentioned you went to university and studied IT. Yeah. Um, so in, in today's environment, what's more important for a budding diamond tear entrepreneur yeah. knowledge of IT and business strategy yeah. or um, knowledge of uh, diamond cutting and of the diamond? I think strategy more today. Very yeah, yeah. Okay. I think <laughs> over the years, the technology that has come in has, has helped in so much in terms of the diamond uh, understanding or the manufacturing itself and so forth. Yeah. Yes, it, it, look, I think you, when you come into the industry, you definitely have to have that knowledge of the diamonds because you, you also, you know, the buying experience, it's not something that uh, just comes over the table or something sure, like that, sure. you know. So, so I think it's very critical. But I think as an entrepreneur, the critical thing would be more strategy, uh, more 
how to grow your business or, or sell because other skills i believe that you can always hire in mm, you know right. well, um, so so that for me would be critical okay. yeah you're not the first person to give that answer oh, yeah. and um but it still surprises me <laughs> <laughs> and i think it's a sign of how the industry has changed yeah, um, yeah. and and it's not necessarily a bad thing yeah. um, <laughs> um what what do diamonds mean to you ah uh, Diamonds, first the beauty, man. You know, you 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 can't uh, take that away. Uh, but secondly, I think they mean being able to be part of people's best experiences. You know, or special moments, or or special milestones in their lives and so forth. So they really mean being able to be a part of a celebration of really special moments uh in, in 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 people's life and 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 the the feel good that comes with it i think nothing takes that away where i remember i mean when i wore my first diamond chain or whatever the feel good that came with it and i think it it, it feels good to know that that's a kind of feeling that it gives people at so end of it's the very day. empowering yeah yeah, um, yeah i love that thank you and then finally do you have a favorite um, diamond or piece of jewelry that you've that you've worked on or that you've gifted or or that you own yeah. um, that stands out for you. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Look, I, I I've, I've and and I can even think of some of the customers and I think that that's been one of the best experiences when um, I've worked on a, a an engagement ring or a wedding ring or something like that and over time when you meet those customers and they're still wearing it or something like that, it becomes so meaningful. But even for myself, I mean, I made the, myself this beautiful cross chain and made out of princess cut diamonds and, and it's just stunning, man, you know? Yeah. That's so, great. yeah, yeah. Um, thank you, uh, Molefi. It's been so great to be with you this morning, to chat with you and to hear your story and your perspective of the market i think is really really unique and um and i think the industry at large is yeah. has a lot to gain from your perspective so thank you for being on the podcast no thank you thank you for inviting me and thank you for coming through and looks really great and uh yeah i, I hope uh, you know the industry will hear the story and we can be able to rally together as the industry and build together towards making sure that we we, we can still get people to f get the experience of, of diamonds. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, uh, just in closing, where can or how can people get in touch with you on, on social media? On yeah. So on Instagram, um, at Mulefilitsiki or at Mulefilitsiki Diamonds. At Mulefilitsiki is my personal one. At Mulefilitsiki Diamonds is, is, is a company one. Uh, on Twitter, at Mulefilitsiki and also on our website www.mldiamonds.com and yeah uh, through those social platforms i think you'll be able right. to get access okay. to it yeah um awesome we, we we can't hide in today's uh, yeah. social media Not environment <laughs> <laughs> neither do we want to but yeah. um thanks yeah. very much and thanks everyone for for listening thank you thanks Avi. Thank you for listening to this episode of Diamond Gems with Avi Kravitz. Please check out my website, avikravitz.com, for more information on how you and your brand can tell your diamond story. 
contact me for advertising opportunities, subscribe to my YouTube channel, follow me on Instagram and TikTok, and connect with me on LinkedIn, all under the ticker Avi Kravitz. And subscribe to my newsletter where I share my insights about the diamond market, along with other useful tidbits that I come across. Let's share our experiences we're lucky enough to have in this incredible industry of ours because stories apply to everyone in the diamond market.